Now we see this continue on throughout the Old Testament, the idea of not intermarrying, that the people of God should marry other people of God. They should not marry people who are giving themselves to idol worship, to worshiping false gods. I think this is the very beginning of it, of what we see here with Abraham. Also, we see the servant can't take Isaac with him either. So Isaac's presence in the land, in the promised land, it's important. Abraham was called by God to be in this land. There would be no going back to his homeland. He doesn't want Isaac to go back to his homeland and be tempted to not return to the land of Canaan. So if we put all of this together, what Abraham was asking of his servant was kind of like mission impossible. Go and find a wife from Isaac, someone related to Abraham from his kindred, convince her and her family to leave her homeland, to go to a land that she does not know, to marry a guy that she has never seen. So you can understand why the the servant, he seems to to doubt this at at first. Is this going to work? And in verse 7, Abraham gives his servant assurance based on God's promises. These are the last words, verse 7, recorded of Abraham in the Bible. We, We don't hear from him after this. And I love that his last recorded words, they're words of assurance in what God himself will do. Look at verse 7. I think it bears worth repeating. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Abraham was not putting his faith in his servant's loyalty or in his servant's ability. He was putting his faith in the Lord. The Lord who made this promise, He will guide you. He will send His angel before you. Now, Abraham was at an old age. He'd been through sadness and difficulty. He lost his wife, and he was still clinging to the hope of God's promise. He still had his eyes fixed on God's promise and God's faithfulness to fulfill His promise. He had learned to trust God's goodness and His plan. God is preparing the way, God Himself made the promise, and God will keep His promise. Abraham knew that the success of the mission was not in his servant's hands, but in God's hands. You know what's interesting about this chapter is that God is clearly given the credit here as the one at work. But what we see in Genesis 24, it's more of a normal life chapter. So you've seen chapters in the book of Genesis where God is speaking directly to Abraham. And we've tried to say to you, you know, we don't expect that God is going to directly speak to believers today. We have the written work of God, the complete canon. He's given us wisdom in His Word, and He guides us today by the words found in the pages of the Bible. But we see here in Genesis 24, it's more of a normal life kind of, of working. God's at work. He's directly leading, guiding, orchestrating things for His good plan, yet we don't see any direct words from the Lord Himself. We don't see any miracles here in this story. We see more of a normal story with normal means of God's plan going forward. We see obedience from the servant. We see diligence from Abraham to, to go after this promise. We see prayer, seeking out guidance. We see thankfulness and praise. And this is pretty much what it looks like in our lives to seek God's guidance, to seek His his will. Well, the theme that we're going to see throughout this story is is God's providence. 
I defined it simply earlier as just simply God is good and God is in control. But let me give you a little bit more to this question, what is the providence of God? In question 27 of the Heidelberg Catechism, this question is asked, what is the providence of God? Let me give you the abbreviated answer from a longer paragraph here. What is the providence of God? The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby all things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. All things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. Everything in creation belongs to God. It's under His rule, and therefore He uses whatever He wants to provide for His people. Not only does He supply all things, but He arranges them according to His plan for His glory. Now, the providence of God is often referred to as the invisible hand of God. He's at work. His hand is guiding, providing, caring, protecting for His people. And oftentimes we don't even recognize it until it's in the rear view. We see how it was that God showed wisdom and grace and mercy. Again, providence simply means God is in control and God is good. As we continue throughout this story, let's look for the invisible hand of God at work. In verse 10, we see the obedience of Abraham's servant. So upon swearing the oath to Abraham, his servant took off with a a caravan, 10 camels loaded up with choice gifts, and he heads out to Abraham's homeland of Nahor. Now, this was a round trip of over 1,000 miles. It would have likely taken around 21 days each way to get there. So after that, that hard trip, 21 days getting there, 1,000 miles, then came the hard part finding a woman to come back with him to marry Isaac. So in the face of a difficult mission, Abraham's servant, he obeyed Abraham. But we also see in the story, he shared Abraham's faith. Think about how often we see him praying in the story, seeking God for guidance. And then as God provided, responding in worship, in humble worship of the Lord, thanksgiving, he shared the faith of Abraham. You see, a demonstration of this trust is seen in verse 12. He prays and asks for the Lord to give him success. That's this first request, please grant me success. He depended on the Lord for success in the mission. And then a second request, he asked the Lord to show his steadfast love. That phrase, steadfast love, it shows up throughout the chapter. Maybe your your translation even translated as, as kindness. What that's referring to there is God's loyalty to a covenant relationship. In other words, God makes promises, and He is loyal, and He is faithful to keep those promises that He makes to His people. So the servant's prayers, they're rooted in the promises of God. His prayers are rooted in God's covenant love and His faithfulness. He's praying, God, you made promises, you keep these promises, and He pleads for help and guidance in light of God's faithfulness. Well, brother and sister in the Lord, I wonder how often you pray for guidance in making decisions. The old hymn says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Friends, please, please, let's guard against seeing prayers, just some mere duty that we have to fulfill, or maybe something we feel guilty about because we're not praying enough. Can we see it as an opportunity, 
and an invitation that if you belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ, you have complete access to Him at any time, anywhere, to ask Him for help in all that God has given you to do. When I think about that, it gets me excited about prayer. I don't have to figure these things out on my own. I don't have to rely on my own wisdom. I don't have to figure out how to get myself through difficult situations. I can come to God, ask Him for help, and trust that He is at work answering my prayers. He might answer them no or not now, but I can trust. I prayed about this, and God, I'm going to leave this in Your hands, the best place to leave our concerns. Well, the servant prays for very specific guidance in verses 13 through 14. He prays that God would make it clear who the young woman was by her saying, drink, and I will water your camels. Now, that may seem like a really random thing to pray for, right? That she would tell you to drink, and she's going to water your camels, and you'd be like, okay, that's the one. Well, why this specific request? Well, he was looking for a woman of character. He was looking for a woman of kindness. He was looking for a woman of of hospitality, a hard worker, one who was humble, Now, this isn't a a prescribed prayer for dating and how to find a wife. So if you look at this and think, well, I'm going to go down to Freedom Park and I'm going to set up a hammock by the pond and I'm just going to pray, God, send her up to me. Send her up to me to ask me out. Uh, Not a good way to make application from this, right? The normal way that you go about is we've been given God's Word so we don't have to ask for like signs and give God criteria that He must fulfill in order for us to know what He wants. He's given us His Word. And as we walk in, in wisdom to His Word, we can make decisions in light of His Word. So the normal way to find a wife, pray and ask God. If you desire a wife, pray and ask God to give you a wife. Pray and ask it that He would give you wisdom to, to consider what you need to consider, to look for. And a woman in His character who loves the Lord. And then you go and you ask her out. And if she says yes, and if things go well, you ask her out again. But if you ask her out again and she says yes, you might start dating. If you start dating, you seek the Lord's will on engagement. And if you get engaged, then you typically get married. That's how things normally work, right? So we don't need to come up with criteria that we ask God to work in. I think this is a very specific situation of describing what was happening here as God was guiding the servant. It's not a prescription of throwing out criteria and asking God to give you a sign. God's given us His Word. He's given us wisdom. God has given us His people. Talk to wise people in this congregation. Talk to other members. Talk to your pastors. Seek out wisdom from God's Word as you look for guidance in making decisions. Well, in verse 15, we see that before he can even finish the prayer, God answers that prayer. As he is praying, I love this, as he's praying, God's providing the answer to that prayer. As he's praying, Rebecca is making her way over there to the well. Now, the servant's praying. Rebecca just so happens to be walking up as he's praying, right? Well, no, there is no such thing as chance. This wasn't fate at work. This was the hand of God at work. He's good. He is in control. And what does she say in verse 18? Drink, my Lord. And then in verse 19, I will draw water for your camels. God's providence, it often unfolds through our prayers. God ordains for things to happen, and the means that He often uses for things to happen, it's, it's our prayers. All right, Christian, you're here this morning, and, and you're a believer. Who was praying for your salvation before you came to faith? Was it mom or dad, a grandparent, a church member, 
a classmate. God, somebody was praying, likely, for your salvation, a neighbor maybe, and God used those prayers. So He ordains people to come to faith, and He uses prayers. He uses a sense of urgency and faithfulness to proclaim the gospel to accomplish His plans. Again, something else that should excite us about prayer is that God often, His providence unfolds through our prayers, that God uses our prayers to accomplish His plans. That makes me so excited. The things that we pray in the pastoral prayers, it's one of my favorite things I do every week is write the pastoral prayer and ask the question, God, if you chose to answer these requests in these ways, who would get saved this week? What would change in our world this week? How might you work among the suicide rates? How might you work in a nation many of us will never visit, like Belarus, to spread the gospel in that land? If you want to hear more about the power of prayer, come tonight. Jonathan Morgan plans to speak on that tonight at 5.30. I'm excited to hear more of what he has to share with us. Well, Moses mentioned in verse 16 that Rebecca was very attractive in appearance, but she was far more than that. She was a woman of character. She shows kindness and hospitality to a stranger. She's a hard worker watering 10 camels. Now, I have never watered a camel before. I don't plan on doing that, but I read this week her watering 10, one scholar said that would have involved drawing water from the well 80 to 100 times, bucket down, drawing water up. It could have taken as long as two hours, hard work, sweaty mess. That makes Jonathan Morgan's workouts look easy. It's hard work, right? She was giving herself to that for a stranger, not thinking she had anything to gain from that a woman of character. And as the servant sat and he watched all of this and perceived her character, he realized God had answered his prayer. God guided him to the woman that he had appointed. The servant gave her jewelry and gold, rewarding her for her work. And when the servant asked if, she, if he can come and stay with her family, she says yes. And while we got this detail earlier, it isn't until verse 24 that he understands she's of Abraham's family when she says she's the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. In other words, she's Abraham's grandniece. She exceeded even what Abraham had called the servant to look for among his kindred. God answered his prayers. And in response, in verse 27, he bowed his head and he worshiped declaring at the end of verse 27, the Lord has led me. It's a proper response to God's work. It's a good response for us to have when we see God working and answering our prayers. God answered His prayer in line with His steadfast love and covenant faithfulness to Abraham. God's providence was unfolding. Well, God answered His prayer. The servant's getting closer to success in His mission. The next step was to meet her family. But we see in verses 28 through 60. As we look at this section in verses 28 through 60, I want you to see a second outworking of our faith. By faith, we do not delay to obey God. By faith, we do not delay to obey God. Well, things were going well so far, but Rebecca's family needed to be convinced of this stranger with a caravan that would be asking to take her away to a foreign land to marry a man she had never Scene. Rebecca ran home to tell her family about all that happened. Let me read for us in verses 28 through 60. 
Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son." I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife from my son, from my clan, and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, Behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw from your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they rose in the morning, he said, "'Send me away to my master.' Her brother and mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, 
and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Rebekah's brother Laban came out, and we get a detail there in verse 30 that helps us learn more about him. In verse 30, look at how that verse begins. As soon as he saw the ring. We learn more about Laban later on in Genesis, that he's a man of deception. So in Genesis chapter 29, we see that he took advantage of Jacob and deceived Jacob for personal gain. But Moses gives us a little clue here in verse 30 about the character of of Laban, that Laban was attracted to the wealth he saw. He saw an opportunity for personal gain. Moses just drops that in and he expounds more on it later, that that Laban, he, he sees the bling and he gladly welcomes in this servant to rest and to eat. But notice that before the servant will eat in verse 33, he wants to tell them why he came. He wants to tell them about his God. He wants them to hear the testimony of how his God worked. That's why he says, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He would not delay. He wouldn't postpone the calling of the work he was sent to do. He was on mission. And so in verses 34 through 48, the servant retells all that has happened. Now, there really aren't very many new details here. This is really an opportunity for him to share with Rebecca's father and brother this testimony of God providentially guiding Rebecca to him. If she's to marry Isaac, they need to be convinced. And after sharing all that God has done in verse 49, he calls them to make a decision. There in verse 49, we see this phrase, steadfast love and faithfulness. It shows up again. God has shown steadfast love and covenant faithfulness to Abraham. And his question to Laban and Bethuel is, will you do the same? The response in verse 50, that this thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. They recognize that all this came from the Lord, the God of Abraham. And we see here God's providence at work and preventing them from even speaking bad or good. Once again in verse 52, the the servant responds in humble worship. For the third time in this story, he, he bows before the Lord and he prays. John Calvin had this to say about this moment. This Thanksgiving teaches us always to have the providence of God before our eyes so that we may ascribe to Him whatever good things happen to us. I think there's an encouragement with this servant. Keep the providence of God before your eyes. Keep the providence of God before your eyes. It's important to look back and to recount triumphs of God's grace, to look back and see how He was working. But at the same time, growing and maturing our faith is in the middle of that trouble, in the middle of those challenges or hardship, to keep our eyes on the providence of God. God is faithful. He will provide. He's wise. He's good. He's in control. He has a plan. His plans cannot be stopped. His purposes cannot be thwarted. I trust in the Lord. You know, this servant gives us a helpful way to do that. So consider the example we see of this servant in prayer. On the front end, he prayed for guidance as he went out on his mission. And then once he received what he was praying for, he responded in humble worship and thanksgiving and and praise. So, so consider that pattern of, of prayer. Pray before you act, and then thank God and praise Him as you see Him answering your prayers. 
I've heard advice given like this. Start off your day lifting up requests to God. Might be your schedule. Might be things you're going to do that day. Ask God for wisdom and help and strength and what you've got on your calendar or the responsibilities that you have. Whatever it is that you wake up in the morning and you might feel anxious about, troubled about, concerned about, lift that up to God and ask for His help and ask for His guidance. And before you go to bed at night, look back throughout the day and see how God answered those prayers. Give Him glory. Give Him credit. Thank Him. Praise Him. It's a helpful model of how to keep the providence of God before our eyes. We have this gift as Christians. We are not left to ourselves. Jesus has promised to be with us always to the end of the age, and we pray in the name of Jesus. We can lift up whatever requests we have, whatever concerns we have, and ask God for help. It's a wonderful exercise to look back at the end of the day and not miss the ways that He's provided. Well, the next morning, Laban and her mother in verse 55, they tried to delay Rebecca from leaving for another week and a half. It's not exactly clear why they're wanting to stay 10 more days, but I tend to think based on the earlier clue of Laban and also what we see later on in the book of Genesis, this would have meant trouble. It would have been a bad situation for the servant. And he he discerned this and resolved in his mission he would not be delayed. He was ready to complete his mission and go back to the land of Canaan. Notice in verse 57 that Rebekah marrying Isaac, notice it was voluntary. Rebekah did not have to go. Look at verse 57. They said, will you go with this man? And she said three words, I will go. She could choose to say, she could choose to go. She decided to go. Now, you might wonder, even in the story, I did reading it, just kind of trying to think about it afresh. You know, as Abraham was sending his servant away to this kindred and this family that he hadn't had contact with, who would this woman be? I mean, would she share the faith of, of Abraham? Now, this is a land of, of moon worship, and even Laban's name is connected to moon worship and false gods. Would she share the faith of, of Abraham? Well, I understand this response of, I will go not merely to be her willingness to follow the servant. I understand this willingness, I will go, to be evidence of her faith to follow God. She was willing to leave her family. She was willing to leave her homeland to go to a land that she did not know. Put that together with her willingness to show hospitality to strangers. Who does that sound like? Where have we heard this before in in Genesis? Abraham. Abraham was called by God to go, to leave his homeland, to leave his family. Uh, Back in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham was hurrying around to show hospitality to strangers. He was kind. He was a man of, of, of character. Put all this together. This sounds like Abraham. Even the blessing she receives in verse 60. Look, look at how it ends in verse 60. And may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. It matches the promise of seed given to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. There it says, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. You put all that together, Rebekah's character reflects the character of Abraham. Her faith is that of Abraham's. Look at the wisdom of God's choice. Look at his gracious provision. This was the one God had chosen to be with Isaac. God's blessing would be passed on to Isaac and Rebecca. Well, there's one more person important to be persuaded here, Isaac. 
right? In verses 61 through 67, this last part of the narrative, we see Isaac needed to be persuaded. And there's a third outworking of our faith that I want us to see here. The third outworking is this. By faith, we rest assured that God will accomplish His plans. By faith, we rest assured that God will accomplish His plans. This is a short scene. Remember, the main focus is on the faith and the obedience of the servant and the faith of Rebecca and her character. But let's look at verses 61 through 67 as I read this last part of the chapter. Then Rebecca and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. He lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Here at the end of the story, we see Isaac lift up his eyes as this approaching caravan comes back into Canaan. He walks out to meet them. Rebecca gets off the camel. She doesn't know who this is. When she learns, this is Isaac. This is going to be your husband. She covers herself with a veil. That was a, a bridal veil. She was ready to be given to Isaac as his wife. And verse 66 is a key verse. Look at that. The, the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Isaac now hears the testimony of God's providence. Isaac now hears of the hand of God at work. And look at his response in verse 67. The response is immediate. He takes Rebekah as his wife, and he loved her. Mission accomplished. All credit to the Lord. His hand at work. At the beginning of the story, Sarah's tent was empty. At the end of this chapter, her tent is occupied. There is a new matriarch for the descendants of, of Abraham, one appointed by God, chosen by God himself. Rebekah takes the place of Sarah, which signals to us in the story of Genesis a turn now, that God is going to be working through Isaac and Rebekah. All of this, the outworking of his providence. Now consider the impact this would have had on the original audience of Israel wandering in the wilderness. From Rebekah came Jacob, and from Jacob the nation of, of Israel. They existed as a people because God provided Rebekah to be Isaac's wife. Again, no Isaac and Rebekah, there is no nation of Israel. This story would have encouraged them to trust God. Look at how God has provided for your entire existence in the past. Trust Him for all things He's promised for the future. Trust the work of His invisible hand. Trust His providential care for you. Well, consider how this would encourage God's people today, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, the church. This story is critical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, in this story, Rebecca is, is seen as being included in the lineage of Jesus Christ. God was faithful to provide a bride for Isaac. And from the lineage of this couple, God provided a Savior, Jesus Christ. 
One who came at the right time to lay his life down willingly and to die for the ungodly. You see, this marriage of Isaac and Rebekah, it was a significant piece of God providing for you and for me in his son, Jesus Christ. Sending Jesus through this lineage down to earth to die and to pay for our sins. God providing a way for us to be forgiven and justified in His sight by raising Jesus from the dead three days later. God providing forgiveness of sins, free righteousness, reconciliation with the God who created you to anyone who would repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. For those who put their faith in Christ, as we recount the triumph of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can be encouraged through this story. It's through this story and faith in Jesus Christ that we have been numbered among the people of God. We've been included in this promise to Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations. That means you and me if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And we can look back And we can see how God has provided for us so richly in Jesus. And therefore, we can face the present and the future, trusting God to provide. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not not also along with him graciously give us all things? Look back to the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at God's provision for you in Jesus. He gave us what we needed most. He gave us what we couldn't accomplish on our own. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming from His fatherly hand to provide what we needed most, forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation with the God who created us. If you're here today and you've not put your faith in Jesus, we want you to know God. We want you to be able to entrust yourself to His care. We want you to be able to pray And your prayers be heard by God because you're praying through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you come today and you want to know more about who God is and what it would look like to put your faith in Jesus Christ today, talk to one of our members who brought you or sit next to you. Talk to one of our pastors at the door on the way out or up at the guest tent at the top of the ramp. We'd love to share more with you. Do not delay in obeying God and repenting and trusting in Him. Well, Christian, I wonder, what stories of God's providence can you recount? How much of your life is really according to your plans? If you're here this morning and you're in your 50s, you might look back and think, at 22, I had it all planned out. Here's how it was going to go. And you look back and you laugh at that. I see you laughing right now. Because God was so much wiser than your plans. He had something planned that was so much better than what you could have ever planned for yourself. He secured a future for you that's so much better than a future you would plan for yourself. Sometimes we may wrongly think that a plan unfolded just the way that we wanted it to. Sometimes we may forget how God provided in our life in the past. That's why it's important to look back and recount the ways that God has provided. We need to remember that God is doing 10,000 things in our life right now, and you and I might be aware of about three of them. So often we don't recognize what God's doing until after He does something. But friends, let's be those who in the moment look back, consider His grace, and trust Him for His grace today. Look back and remind it in thankfulness how much He's provided, and by faith ask Him for the help to trust Him to provide today. Brother and sister, I wonder what keeps you from entrusting yourself 
to God's providential care. Find rest by trusting in Him. Find rest in His faithfulness to His promise. Find rest by surrendering those burdens to Him and trusting Him to care for you. Well, in closing, the Heidelberg Catechism, after addressing what is the providence of God, it asks a follow-up question. It's question number 28 in the Catechism, if you want to look at it later today. But the follow-up question is this, and what should we study, and why should we study this? What good will it do? Here's the answer to question 28, that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for what is future, have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love, since all creatures are so in His hand that without His will they cannot so much as move. We find confidence in the providence of God. We find comfort in the providence of God. God is at work. His hand is constantly guiding us, whether we see it or not. Our God is good. He is absolutely in control. And with our faith in Him, we find rest. Amen. Let's bow and pray. Father, we thank You for the wisdom contained in Your Word. Even in a long chapter like this, there are so many riches for us to dig and to mine, to discover, to look at. And Lord, we ask now that You would take the truth that we've seen this morning and that You would, by the power of Your Spirit, apply it to our hearts and minds. Lord, we ask You to grow us in our trust of You. Lord, we pray for rest. Lord, we pray that we'd rest in, in You and Your finished work and your Son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross and raising from the dead. Lord, we pray that we would find rest in knowing that you're in control and that you're good. Lord, we thank you for the many ways that you've blessed us. We ask you to lead us forward in joy for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.